Hey, you, yeesh, you, stop what you're doing right now. Please subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. It does not matter what app you are on on your phone. It doesn't matter if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcast or Deezer or Acast or anywhere else, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. it doesn't matter. Please subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. It is tremendously helpful for us, and it's helpful for you because, let's face it, we're fucking awesome. If you're so inclined... Please also give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. But I'll leave that to you. You know, just subscribe is the most important thing. It's all important, but whatever. If you don't do it, I'll break your knees. Let's get it. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman, no surprises there. I have a great guest this week, Rocky Katzenese from the band Mercy Union, from Rocky and the Chapter, formerly Let Me Run. He's doing his first proper solo record, too. We get into all of that and more in a really a great conversation. You know, as we were recording the interview, I remember thinking, ah, this is okay. It's just I'm catching up with my friend. I don't know if people will enjoy this. But listening back to it, I think that people are going to get a lot more out of this podcast than most of the others that we've put up so far this year. The reason being is Rocky is a good example of somebody who uses his strong work ethic to hold himself accountable in a positive way in order to keep creating. And I know you might think that's uh, cheesy or trite, but it's not the easiest thing to do. If you're a creative person, it's not easy to stay creative. It's not easy to stay on top of your game and on top of your duties at the same time. And Rocky has managed to do that in arguably one of the most stressful times in our lives during this quarantine. So he's done a good job of turning chicken shit into chicken salad, and that is why I wanted to have him on the Berman Hour. So I hope you enjoy. I am currently in a bedroom in my house. I am not feeling like my normal self. And I'm not going to put on a facade about it. There was a COVID exposure within our family circle, which puts a number of people at risk in my family. And I appear to be the only one uh, exhibiting symptoms, mild as they may be. Um, But I'm obviously scared and concerned for my sick family members, and my pregnant wife, who was on the other side of the house. So I didn't know if I was going to want to talk about this in the intro, but I'm just going to keep it real. And, um, you know, the reason I do this podcast and the reason I release music is because I want to make a connection with people and I want that connection to be meaningful. And for it to be meaningful, it has to be real. Uh, For other artists uh, who I will not name, that's not the case. But I'm not a gimmick. Divided Heaven is not a gimmick. The Berman Hour is not a gimmick. They are all extensions of Jeff. And this is what's happening in Jeff's life right now. And uh, I'm just hoping for the best, awaiting test results and trying to keep myself sane, trying to keep my family healthy and trying to get through this as best as I can. 
So with that in mind, I, just like Rocky, you know, got to stay busy. You got to stay on top of it. And since I'm f- feeling okay to do it, I'm, I'm doing this and I wanted to share this with you. So I hope that your holidays are going well and I hope that you and yours are safe because uh, it's, it's rough out there. And, you know, today was like such a dark fucking day personally and living back on the East Coast, it was just a picturesque, gloomy, gray, dreary, dark fucking day. And it matched what I felt in my heart and in my head. So I was lifted out of that by having to edit this podcast and listen back to what was a great conversation between my friend Rocky and I. And I hope that if you're facing down a dark time right now, that this is a distraction or some semblance of assistance and help. And, uh, yeah. So that's it for me. Enjoy my conversation with Rocky Catonese, Rocky Catonese. And thank you as always for tuning in. Yeah, how long have you been in New Brunswick now? Uh, well, I this is my hometown, so I uh-huh. I grew up here. Um, I uh, so I spent like my first eighteen years here, and then I went away to college for a year, and then came back to do band stuff. But then, like, yeah, around twenty twelve is when I moved back to this house, um, which has been in my family since nineteen forty six. Excellent. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, my great grandmother bought this house, um, and actually, in the middle of my basement studio is her stove. Her like old old stove is down here, um, just in the middle of the room because it's still hooked up to the gas and nobody's uh, taken it out. <laughs> I was going to ask if it was hooked up. And, yeah, uh, that's but, the only reason why it hasn't moved anywhere is like because I don't want to screw it up and have gas leak into the house. Or fucking kill yourself just trying to move something. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's awesome. But yeah, what was your introduction to music and then what was your introduction to this general subculture of punk and hardcore? So like music was always around in my house. Yeah. Like my parents aren't musicians, but they're like uh, – they're big, big, big music fans. So like when I grew up, there was always music playing and like my mom would always have like these – like themed Saturdays when she would like clean the house, she would always like do like a string of records that so cute. Um, yeah. Like, like, so like one day would be show tunes. So it'd be like the funny girl soundtrack, West side story, a couple other, like a lot of Streisand like show tune stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there would be like a Saturday that was all like late seventies, eighties, like new waves, like rock band stuff, like, the pretenders and Elvis Costello and Tom Petty and, and stuff like that. And then there were like Saturdays that were like Tracy Chapman, Indigo girls, Suzanne Vega, Melissa Etheridge, um, like that whole like late eighties, like Lilith fair singer songwriter type, uh, type stuff. Um, and so like, that was kind of like what I grew up on was like rock bands, singer songwriters and like Broadway. It's very interesting that you, you say that Rocky, because I've been going through, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I've been going through Covered 20 and all the songs that you've chosen to cover for 
for this project that you've been doing since we've been all been in quarantine. And it's if the map if it's a musical landscape or a musical map, I think we just pinpointed the germ of the idea as to why you <laughs> yeah, fell in yeah. love with all of these different kinds of songs. That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's like my mom kind of gave me that. My dad was super into like the Beatles and Elvis and like James Taylor, Gordon Lightfoot or like early seventies, like late sixties, like singer songwriter sure. stuff. Yeah. Um, and then like somehow in the middle of all that, like the only radio that they would listen to was like contemporary rock radio. So I didn't really understand like what like contemporary music really was until I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Because like, to me up until that point, like Billy Joel uh, you know, Elvis Costello, Counting Crows, you know, Gin Blossoms, these were all like things happening at the same time. I didn't realize that like, you know, My Aim is True came out in the late seventies. I sure. thought that that was just as brand new as like numerous real experience. So it was like, so until I got to like middle school and kids started being like, oh, you're not listening to Smash Mouth. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is Smash Mouth? You know, like I, I didn't really get it. And then like, but like in the middle of that too, like my dad bought me Green Day's Insomniac, mm -hmm. like on a whim. Like I don't know why he bought me that record, but like I got that before I got Dookie or anything else from them. Like I, I had heard like rock bands of that kind, like on the radio and stuff. But like basically, when I was, you know, my dad asked me when I was like eleven or twelve if I wanted to play guitar because like he saw me getting more interested in music. Like I was watching like behind the music all the time. And mm -hmm. I was like really interested in like the stories behind musicians and stuff. And it was around just the same time that like I started meeting other people who liked music. And a friend of mine was like, have you ever listened to MXPX? And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and, and like, cause I had like heard like Blink-182 and Green Day and stuff. Yeah. And, but like, you know, they asked me that and I was like, no. And then, so they handed me, uh, life in general and live at the show. And I was like, what? I'm like, this is so cool. It's catchy. It's like energetic. And then that led me to like no effects and rancid. And then like very soon after is when I kind of found like the drive through records whole like catalog. Yeah. And then like, you know, a lot of the stuff that vagrant was doing at the time, like I kind of like fell into like the Midwestern emo scene a bit. And then like that just kind of went from there. Like I just kind of kept following whatever bands would pop up and whatever things would like come into my. And that all like, makes sense. Radar. It totally makes yeah, sense. No, it right? totally makes sense. In yeah. the first five minutes of this podcast, you've just explained your entire musical genome to me. And it just makes it makes you make sense to me that much more. Not that you were, you know, a conundrum that I hadn't figured out. We love all the same bands. But, I, yeah. you know, and it's interesting. I think MXPX is a gateway band for a lot of people. And I think they play it off, you know? Like, oh, I, yeah. I, no, for sure. I think they like to, like, sweep that under the rug or something. And they're like, no, yeah, you know, I heard Kerplunk first. Yeah. And when in reality it was... <laughs> It was not, that was not the case. No, it's like there are the people sitting in their room, like listening to Chick Magnet and being like, that's like, this is what got me into punk was this stupid bass line. It's like, yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what got you into punk was that Ex stupid bass line. I, I do have a question for you as a New Jersey guy. And this might yeah. be a stupid question, but fuck it. It's my podcast and I don't care and I'm curious. 
Because you have parents that are such avid music lovers and that was passed down to you, what is your feeling, your family's collective feeling about Bruce Springsteen? My dad loves Bruce Springsteen. My mom is like a a fan, but not as hardcore as my dad. Okay. Um, When I was growing up, I hated Bruce Springsteen. I thought, Interesting. I just didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. Like, I just like, whatever my dad was presenting to me, I didn't think was cool. But I think a lot of what I was hearing was either like born in the USA after, mm-hmm. or like the first couple records, like, and, you know, let's be real, like, you know, Greetings from Asbury Park and East Street Shuffle, like those are fine records, but they're like, they're not fun for a kid to listen to. No, there's like, moments of just, greatness on those records, but I think it's, I think yeah. it's, yeah, a few records. It's hard to, he really hits the stride. Exactly. And like, it really was when I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. And I finally like listened to born to run and got it. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, it sucks feeling like you're stuck. It sucks feeling like you don't know where you're going and you don't know like what to do in life. And and like that you have like these, you know, existential problems that nobody really cares about because everybody's too concerned with themselves. Like that, that whole idea of like, we got to get out of here and find something new. Mm-hmm. Like that just spoke way more to a 20 year old than it did to a 10 year old. It just like, cause when you're 10 years old, you're too concerned with like riding your bike and watching cartoons. Like why would I understand the plight of somebody like, work in a dead end job and all they want to do is get out of their hometown. <laughs> yeah. But there's something you know? to be said for, you know, I, I'm back in Pennsylvania now and I, I'm going to say this may be controversial, but I've said it for years. I think that certain parts of the country kind of eat their own. And I always felt that there were great bands from Pennsylvania that maybe could have done better. Had they not been from Pennsylvania, had they been from a place oh, that was yeah. a little bit more fertile and a little bit more, um, encouraging and forgiving and, and nurturing. Um, but with, what would ha- happen with Bruce Springsteen begat what happened with John Bon Jovi, which in a weird way begat like what happened with other artists, and I would include the Bouncing Souls in that too. But there's a, a reciprocity there where the artists love New Jersey and the greater general sense New Jersey loves them back as well. And I'm always looking for somebody from New Jersey to be like, I fucking hate Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> See, like, yeah. I mean, like, there's plenty of people who I know who, like, have that that kind of, they still hold on to that, like, I don't want to like what my parents like sort of thing. Right. And that's really, like, I find, or people who just don't, like, you know, like, I wasn't ever really into Black Flag. You know, like, it was just a band that, like, I didn't get. And now if I, like, went to listen to it, I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. You know, Dude. like I get why it's important, but like it's not my thing. I feel the same way. I feel so, the exact same way. Just don't so like, care. you know, you Yeah, so like you look at there's certain people around here who like still have that from their childhood like they never got Bruce Springsteen or they never understood it. Um and like or they just resent the fact that it's that like like it's one of those things where the fans turn you off to the bands like how, you know, so many people hate or like sports teams or whatever, like people hate Philadelphia sports teams because of Philadelphia sports fans. Right. There are people like, I know there's plenty of like just dumb racist, like (laughs) idiot people in New Jersey who love Springsteen and totally don't get the fact that he's like 
speaking for everything against what they believe in. Right. You know, like he, he's speaking for what they should believe in. Um, you know, like that turns, you know, that can definitely turn you off to, to what that person's saying. Cause you don't think that they're actually speaking to your value system. It's funny that you mentioned that stuff about Jersey though. It's, it's cause I think about that in, in a greater context of, of music scenes in general, Jared and I have talked about this a bunch. We, we miss the, the nurturing we miss the like kind of camaraderie community stuff that that we grew up in that like kind of gave us our start Mm -hmm. um because you know part of it is the advent of the information age where like you know you don't need to just rely on the bands that are in your hometown or in your home area to be your entertainment or your gateway but the other part of it i think too is just that like there's been this drift away from we want to support each other and see each other excel there are still bands who do that and there's there are a great group of bands in jersey right now who are supporting each other and yeah and who are friends and and care about each other but for the most part if you're feeling that in new jersey then i i'm i'm hesitant to even begin to think what's happening in other parts of the country because new jersey has always seemed like a very supportive web you know yeah and like there's still bits of that you know, it's like, but I think, you know, when I was growing up and when I first got into music, there were so many more venues and there were so many more like opportunities for smaller bands to be involved with bigger bands. Like when I first, my first band, like Kick Over the Traces, when we first started playing and we were horrible because I was 15 years old or whatever, 16 years old when we started playing, you know, our first few shows were like with bigger bands, like mm-hmm. with like bands that had like would would either become bigger names or had been bigger names in jersey or in the like tri-state area like we played with like the strider and armor for sleep and tokyo rose and the june spirit and motion city and keepsake and may and folly and like we played with all these bands that had either like established themselves or would become really big in years to come because there were opportunities for our small band to hop on bills with those bands right because of that like we would get introduced to like, it's just that simple thing of like, you put a band in front of new people, they're likely to pick up one or two fans in that show. Um, you know, so like we would play in front of the motion city crowd with a bunch of other bands that we were never played with before. And we would walk away with like four kids, like picking up a demo, you know, we would play with, you know, the matches or with Spitalfield or something like that at, at one of the clubs around here. And then, some of those kids would pick up our demo. Like, it's just like, it was this like natural growth thing. And now like, you know, part of it is, yeah, like we're older and we've established ourselves, you know, as being a part of this scene. So like, there's a little bit less chance that somebody random's going to come to the show. Um, but I think that part of it is also that there aren't really many opportunities for like a band, like even Mercy Union, who like does a, like pretty well in our home area for us to like just hop on a show with a bigger band like a real like a proper bigger band um because you know just the way things work around here now like there are less venues there are less opportunities there are you know packages are the kind of the standard of um of of what you see on a tour um yeah but you guys you guys do get a lot of those opportunities i would say that i see you guys get a a good good amount of them because, you, you know, you've got a, what's the place, is it Garwood? 
Garfield? Well, Crossroads and Garfield. Crossroads. Yeah. 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 So it's like, we, we, we do get like, and I'm not trying to downplay that either. Like, oh, I, yeah, I, sure, I, sure. like we do, we do get opportunities. Like, you know, we, but like part of that also is because we've proven ourselves to be a draw. Like, right. you know, like we know, like we know, and like our friends who book us know that like, we're good for, you know, however many kids in the door on a show. So it's like when we're playing with, like the Lawrence arms or with Dave or with, you know, red city radio or whoever it's like, yeah, we're getting to open for a bigger band um, or a band that's like more established than us. But part of it is because we can pull our own weight. It's not like we're getting thrown like a complete bone, like in that situation. And I think that like, I miss those days when there were a lot of bones being thrown around, you know what I mean? Like there were like, I remember being, in both and, and being in both positions where like my little band was starting to sell out our home club every six weeks. So we could literally just pick a new opener who like was a brand new band or like a small band or like just younger than us and be like, you're going to open up our show. Like, because we want somebody different to experience this. We want somebody else in the mix. Um, and like, there just aren't like, you know, part of it is just like, there aren't that many opportunities for a band, even our size to be like, Hey, we want you to pop on our show because like, there's just, there aren't as many. Well, granted it's been a year of no shows, but like, there's not as many, there just aren't as many opportunities. Um, and I think part of what we want as a band, at least Jared and I, like, I know that we've talked about this very specifically, so I can speak for the two of us, but it's like, you know, one of the things we want to do is make sure that the the good people and the cool people that that are involved in music and who are in bands and like we're supporting them as they support us and we're you know we're being as inclusive and as um and caring to the to our music scene as much as we can be. Especially now, like this year showed us all like where people's priorities sit and where their loyalties lie and and I want to make sure that I am supporting the bands that like took COVID super seriously and never tried to endanger anybody. And like, and do believe that black lives matter. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like people who share our ethical values, like, you know, it's like, if you don't, if you can't own up to black lives matter, if you can't own up to, you know, your like, especially as a white cis male, if you can't own up to your complicit, nature of of your privilege and and kind of sit back and go okay like i have to listen and i have to acknowledge that i probably made some horrible mistakes in the past and i'm trying to do better if you're not in that club or if you're not like willing to to own up to your own shit then like why do i want to throw you favors you know i don't want to feel like i'm making excuses anymore because i used to do that all the time and I, i still have that inclination of like I'm, I hate confrontation. I'm kind of timid in, in confrontational situations and, you know, but like, I don't want to have to be like, well, like, you know, this person did say that horrible thing and I didn't say anything about it. Or this person like acted very selfishly and I didn't do anything about it. And I just let it slide. Like I want to at least know that I'm acknowledging those things and like, and working on those things with people to be like, Hey, like you did this thing that wasn't cool, but that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Let's like, 
work on this together and like be a community and like help each other and grow and, and excel. But if I see somebody's kind of like repeatedly doing those poor things and shows no like interest in learning, then like, I don't want to have them on my show. I don't want them to be part of my community because they're showing that they don't want to grow. They don't want to help each other. They don't want to, they don't want to see us all excel. Have you found that this quarantine has brought out good qualities in you as a musician or are you just kind of going with the flow, trying to figure out new things about how you want to continue this career? Because I, I do want to talk about your, your, your covered series in a minute, but I, I'm more thinking kind of big picture. Like, do you think that you've been able to utilize this time wisely or to, to the, to your best effort? That's hard. You know, like I yeah. feel like, cause I, I could pose the same question to you. Like, you know, I feel like, cause we, like, you know, you said, you know, we share a lot of the same reference points and, you know, we've been friends for years now and it's like, you know, I feel like there's always this feeling of like, I should be doing more. I should be, you know, putting out another Instagram post. I should be writing another song and putting it up. I should be, you know, um, practicing my guitar every day for two hours. You know, like there's, there's always these kind of notions of like, I could be doing so much more for my craft with this time that I have sitting here. Yeah. Um, I kind of go back and forth. I have certain days where I feel really, um, accomplished and I feel really proud and then there are certain days where I just hate myself for the things that I didn't do or the thing that I didn't do as well or, you know, a stint of procrastination, what have you. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and I, I, I feel the exact same way where it's like there are days when like I got, you know, two, two songs worth of drum tracks done and I'm like, cool, like I got a bunch done today. I, I you know, went through them. I processed them. I, I like EQ'd them. I did everything I needed to do to get to the next step. And I can, you know, and it's now six o'clock and I've done all of my day job stuff and I've done all my recording stuff and I can shut my computer off and like go watch TV and not feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and and then there are days where like, I, you know, just the world has gotten to me and my depression takes a nice little spike. And I'm just like, I don't want to pick up a guitar right now. Like I don't want to do anything right now. And then like, you know, that is a, you know, a self-eating snake where it's just like, well, I don't want to do anything. So I'm a failure. And now I feel more depressed. And now I'm like, you know, and it's like that cycle. And I think like, you know, you ask if this quarantine has brought out some good things and as, you know, I see it in myself as a musician. And I think that's, yes, the question, the answer, the short form is yes. Like, yeah. In this, in this time, like I've become a better engineer, I've become a better guitar player. Um, I've written a lot more than I've written in the last few years. Cause I, for the last few years, I've kind of been in a, a bit of a slump, um, mm-hmm. when it comes to writing songs. And, um, you know, so I've been a lot more productive on the back end, um, when it comes to my musicianship and I, and there's a little bit of, because of this time and, and focusing on getting better at a bunch of different little tasks and, and facets of being a musician, you know, whether it is engineering or guitar maintenance or, um, you know, pedal board building or whatever it is like, like I've taken extra time because I've had the extra time this year to like get better at all of those things. 
Yeah. Um, and part of that and so now, was, oh, sure. Keep going. Sorry to interrupt. Well, it's like, so, and so now like for years I was kind of like super hesitant to ever be like, Hey, like I can do this thing. Let me do this for you. Like, you know, let me hire me to do this job for you. Mm-hmm. Like I would always kind of be like, nah, 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 nah. I'm not going to put myself out there like that. And now I'm like, not so scared about it. Like I'm not, I'm not starting a business or anything like that, but it's like, Oh, you want me to set up your guitar? You know, give me a few bucks and I'll and buy me a pack of strings and I'll set up your guitar for you. You know, it's like that way I can buy pizza later. You know, it's like, that's the kind of thing where like, I don't, I don't have that same hesitance of like offering my services to people, which I think is another, uh, product of 2020. Yeah, that's definitely a pro. Well, let's talk about covered 20 right now. Okay. Ac- according to my sources, Rocky, you have surpassed that and you're at 22 or 23 songs. So was the, 22. was the original idea to do essentially 20 weeks in a row of, of a cover song that you would produce, record, engineer, and, and go from there? What was the germ of the idea and are there signs of slowing down? So this whole idea started because for a few years now I've had recording capability for probably a decade. I've had some kind of like minor interface or something like that, you know, like a two input, yeah, you know, little M box or something like I've always like for, that's probably for the last 10 years, probably the last five years I've had like an eight input interface. When I was doing my solo band, the chapter, um, we had it set up to where, you know, cause we had three guitar players. So it's like we had every guitar amp mic'd we had the bass DI'd and then we had four mics on the drum set, just like jam out a song and practice. And then we would record the song live. And then I would go the next day and then like record vocals over it. And those demos came out sounding good. Like they came yeah. out sounding fine. I started feeling more and more like, you know, maybe I could start recording some stuff in my basement and just have somebody else mix it or have somebody else approach it earlier this year, like literally right before COVID really hit, um, we were playing a show and my sister came to the show and asked me like what I wanted to do for our parents' birthdays this year. Cause both of our parents turned 60 this year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. You know, like I am, I'm horrible with gifts. I just can't like when I'm put on the spot, I just freeze and I can't think of anything, but I got the idea to, to take a couple of their favorite songs and record cover versions of those songs for them as a present Oh, cool! because like I had, I had the equipment here, you know, I had the ability to play the songs by myself. So if I just did everything by myself and then had like my friend mix it, I figured that would be like a cool present. Um, and so I did, uh, promised land by Springsteen for my dad. Nice. And I did no souvenirs by Melissa Etheridge for my mom. So like they came out so well that I was like, you know, I got all those sounds in my basement. You know, and then I just handed it off to our friend Kevin Dye, um, who plays in the band Gates, who's like produced a lot of my stuff. Um, I handed it off to him to mix because he's honestly the best mixing engineer I've ever met. I started thinking like, well, maybe I'll start doing more recording projects. And I'm like, well, how can I do this as a way to like keep myself on it where like I wouldn't just give up after like a song? And so I was like, well, what if I do like covers and I'll do a cover every week. So that way I'm not like, I'm not putting the mandate on myself to like write a song every week. I like that. I like the, that you put yourself up against a big fat wall of accountability because that's like, 
you know, kind of harken back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, that can really be the kiss of death when you get into that downward spiral of depression and you don't want to work, so therefore you can't work, and then you get to a point where you can't work because you physically can't and you don't want to. Did having some sort of set schedule put you into a regimented enough frame of mind where you were able to to use this as a, as a ladder out of any rut that you could kind of get yourself in emotionally or mentally? I definitely the 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 having the schedule and the the format definitely made it so I kept myself accountable in terms of getting stuff done. Yeah. Um you know there were like these I don't know if I could necessarily say that it would like pull me out of a rut, but like there were days especially where I was like I knew just sort of like, well, I can kind of let depression take me over today because I still have two days to work on this track. So it was kind of like it was it, it gave me a little bit more of like bargaining room, if that makes any sense, with like yeah. my own mental health. But like having the big thing for me was announcing it, like announcing that I was going to do this project and that it was going to be a song a week every week, you know, for 20 weeks um, or whatever. Like I was going to the fact that I said that out in public made me go well I can't not do that now like if I if I fall short of this then like why should anybody trust my you know my word again again you know as a musician like why would anybody trust that I could actually follow through oh, that's so if I can't follow through on this that's so interesting man I I got to say I have to admit I tried to do something kind of similar but it was just I was going to do a cover series in 2015 on YouTube just to kind of bump up YouTube numbers and use that as a buffer to, you know, you know how that shit works just to kind of grease the wheels. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I got about five weeks into it and then I I gave up and I, I don't remember what my excuse was. It was probably because I was leaving for a tour or something, but it was an excuse nonetheless and I backed out. So it's really interesting to hear you say that putting it out there that you were going to do this was a, a big step for you because you know, you, you can't back down if everybody knows you're doing it. Like now, now everybody's exactly. got their eye on you. That's, that's really interesting. Well, yeah, it's just like, I, I, and I think that was just the way I could rationalize it in my head because like, you know, my instinct is always kind of like, I get really excited about something and I want to do it. And I like, I, it's like, you know, foot to the floor, like go, 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 go. When I first get into something. And then like, as that, you know, as the gas starts running out, I'm like, uh, well, I kind of want to do this other thing or, Oh, you know, I, I don't have time today or, Oh, like I have to go to do this thing for work. Like all the excuses start piling up. And then I kind of just like it, it peters out a little bit. And like knowing that I had something on record to say like, no, 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 this is a thing you said you were going to do. So like, you can't break your own word. Like, you know, on just a principle you know, level, like you can't just do it. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for that because, you know, you and I have both, we've been in this game a long time, man. And I bet we, we know people that every three or four months we get a new Facebook request from them to like whatever new project they're in. And that's good. That's all well and good. But then it just kind of reminds me of this graveyard of unfinished ideas and this long list of Either things that, you know, you really, people really push hard to say that it's important to them. But then when you kind of press them to it or you kind of check in with them about it, it's like they've moved on to something else. And it's like, well, if you didn't really care that much, why the fuck should I I care care that much? Yeah. And that was something that I really uh, liked. And, you know, 
I love you, so it, it, I was going to tune in anyway. But um, I really respected about what you were doing is that you set yourself up on a schedule that, like, you, you were going to keep to it, and that was what was really interesting from an outside perspective. Because, I mean, besides the fact that you chose a number of my favorite sleeper track songs, yeah. it was it was awesome that that you were doing something that I look at it as this: like, if if we're not doing anything that revolves around our longevity as musicians or as Mercy Union or Divided Heaven or the chapter. If, if we're not doing things that we're going to want to stand behind in the year 2045, then we're kind of just wasting our time because we have the platforms, we have the band camps, and we have everything that we can do for this. But we want to be able to stand by it, and we want to be able to get people invested in it either monetarily or emotionally and you can't yeah. do that if if you come across as being um, apathetic or just uh, it's like a, a feigning interest from the start. And that stuff really bothers yeah, yeah. me. And that's why I, I was so excited to see what you were doing because, yeah, it, it's it's different and it's certainly not something you're going to like tour on. Well, maybe you will, you know, yeah. in, in a later age. But it was something that you felt that you needed to do in order to keep just to keep moving you know, to not be stagnant and to not be stuck. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, you know, I completely, I, I don't know if I've ever articulated or I've ever actually recognized that, that point that you made, but it's like, yeah, like when somebody is like now in, in their seventh band in you know, three years, I don't know how to like have the same level of excitement for them that I would if it was like their first new for their first new band in three years, you know, like seeing somebody that I know is super talented playing music again for the first time in a while, like that makes me stoked. Yeah. You know, or like some, or like seeing, you know, friends gather to be a band, uh, a new band because like they decided that all of their talents should be put together. Like that's kind of, you know, that's even just for me being in mercy union, like that was something that I was really excited about that I would get to, actually make music with jared you know since like we've been you know he's one of my best friends in the world he's like my brother you know so it's like getting to finally have like our project yeah you get to dance together it's like you guys have been at all the same dances for like 12 years and now you're finally yeah. dancing together and everyone's like oh they should have just been fucking doing this for the whole fucking time <laughs> yeah well, exactly and it's like and you know the the outpour of like kind words and like when we did the strike anywhere cover on our seven inch, like, and I sang on one of our recordings for the first time. Yeah. You did the um, second verse, right? Rooftop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's great. And so like, and people were just super stoked on it. Like I got texts from other musicians being like, I've listened to this cover like 10 times in a row. And like your verse is awesome. And I'm stoked that you sang it. And like, you know, and that meant the, it was so huge to me. It was such a, a compliment. And like, you know, with the covers, it's like, I just wanted to get better at making our demos. Like that was kind of just like the underlying thing was like, yeah, I want to be able to make Mercy Union demos sound really good. And I want to be able to know exactly like not, well, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I don't think I'll <laughs> ever know exactly what I'm doing with anything, but I like, I want to know how to do this effectively. So like, you know, and then like you said, you know, there's a part of it too where I, yeah, I'm not going to tour specifically on cover 20. It's like, I did it 
as a dumb little thing for myself as like a self-improvement, like practice regimen. And I did it for charity. So it's like, I'd rather, you know, even still, like if I've, I've kind of silently decided, you know, I guess this is the first time I'm saying it out loud, but like anybody who buys that thing from now until the end of time, like that's going to go to one of the charities that I highlighted during the six, you know, five months or whatever it was like. So, you know, after like I'm I'm officially done with this with this project. Like I I've decided that I'm going to stop now. I think I know why. I think I know why. Okay, like I would like to hear your hypothesis before I go further. Well, because I follow you on Instagram as everybody should. So I and I give a shit about what you do musically. I saw you post one of those chart boards where you're starting to track oh, everything. Yes. And then I saw in the top right-hand corner. So are you doing your first solo record? Like a first proper solo record? Yes. I And what's That's funny is that... Like, That's great news. The, the two things aren't as correlated as they seem, which is hilarious. Like it, it, it looks like I had this planned. I didn't have it planned. <laughs> um, like, so I just... Like, so my original goal was to do 20 songs in 20 weeks. And when I did the math... Originally, I was like, that should put me right at the end of November. Mm-hmm. And I was like, perfect. Then I'll have December off. Like, I won't have to try to do this around the holidays. And like, who knows? What, and again, like in July, I didn't know what December was even going to look like. So like, you know, in my head, I was hoping that, you know, we would be in a much different state in terms of like the, the virus and um so I was just kind of like, I don't know what's going to happen by December. So like, I'll be done by the end of November. Yeah. And then as I started plotting things like about halfway through, I realized that I had cut myself short by two weeks. Wow. So I was like, oh, okay. And then like, so I had to add a couple songs in the middle um, of the, like the whole process. Like I, I decided upon a couple more songs that were kind of on my, you know, uh, like after my made my initial list, they were kind of on like the secondary list. Um, so I threw those in and then there were like two weeks in the whole process where like my life was just way too busy where like I couldn't get it together or like I was waiting on guest musicians to send me tracks and I couldn't really finish anything without them. Um, so that's why I like took a couple of weeks, like quote unquote off. And I did like bonus songs, um, in the, the following weeks to like make up for it. Yeah. Um, so that's why there's 22 as opposed to just 20. Um, like I did, I felt bad. I was missing weeks uh, technically in a row, um, even though I lived up to the expectation of 20 songs. Um, so it's like it just kind of, I don't know. It just all kind of like fell in that way where like a lot of it was there was intention, but it was accidental. Yeah, absolutely. and then like, and then so like I finish because like by the by the last few weeks I was just starting to get burnt. I was getting burnt by the, the consistency of just having to do something every week, you know, whether like my, like emotional bandwidth allowed it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, well now I'm going to take some time and, you know, Mercy Union's starting to like get a little bit more active with our writing and, and, and getting stuff together for the next record. And so I was like, okay, I'll have that to do and I'll have this and this and this and like, it'll be great. I'll have time to, to myself. I'll, and I, I sort of like looked at all that. And then I was like, man, I'm bored. 
<laughs> I'm just bored. Like I like I didn't realize how much time I was just like eating up with this project that like kept me from just sitting around. And so like the idea for the first solo record has been in my head for the last few years. Um, like I, I wanted to do something similar uh, in 2018 when uh, we went to Europe, well, when I went to Europe for the first time with Jared. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of never got around to it. And I think, you know, money was also a factor. Like I didn't have the resources at the time to like, go to a studio and pay for the studio time and pay for the mixing and pay for all the the pressing and stuff. I just didn't have it. So I, you know, I kind of just sat on it and like a bunch of the songs on this solo record are songs that I had written at that time that just have never gotten a proper recording or release. Um, And I just, there's songs that I still care about a lot that I want to be out in the world. And then there's a few that have been written in 2020. So it's like, excellent. you know, it's just kind of, there's, it's, you know, there's, it's not to say that like, oh, I'm just giving you all my B-sides or anything like that. It's like, no, it's like, these are all songs that like I wanted out in the world, but I just didn't have the opportunity to, to get out there. And now with my, with my acumen as an engineer, like I can make the record here um, and like have a friend, you know, help me produce and um mix it and stuff like that like i'm gonna go with kevin again like yeah you know to have him because like like i said it's like why would i why would i mix this when i know the best mixing engineer ever like sitting you know in his room right now like ready to go like it's just like i'm gonna just do it um but yeah like the solo record like i'm, I'm definitely looking forward to part of it like i i'm looking at the the chart right now and i have like all of the scratch tracks and demos done and um, I'm, I'm about three proper tracks into, uh, to the actual recording of it, which is like quicker than I thought I was going to be doing. But like, I, I kind of like, and the reason I said 2021, I didn't try to give a, like a, anything else about it Yeah, was, was to, you know, to give myself breathing room, but to also, again, hold myself accountable. Like I'm not going to say solo record coming in 2021. And then this time next year, I still haven't put it out. Like that's not, that's not how this is going to work. Nah, you don't got to worry about that, man. You, you've got it under control at this point. So you're going to, you're going to fire this thing out and it's going to be great. Thank you, everybody. Again, check out our sponsors, New Wave, who are bringing us Flow State Coffee. Go to N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N newwave.co slash Berman and get 10% off your first order. And it helps out the podcast. Yeah, it does. It's great coffee. It's a great gift idea. And it helps out the Berman Hour. So let's get it. Until next week, stay safe. Let's stay calm. Deep breaths. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye.